0: Welcome to Supply Circles, stories from the innovators, disruptors, and improvers in supply chain management today. Brought to you by AI Group.
1: Ho, 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 too many hoes. Hey, it's Christmas time. This is our last fortnightly podcast for the year. In a fortnight's time, it will be Christmas, and no doubt a happy white-bearded gentleman will be bringing you wonderful surprises. I hope you have a great Christmas, but in the meantime... This white-bearded happy fellow is going to give you a gift of another fascinating episode full of surprises. Hello, I'm James Scotland, and I'm coming to you, coming to you today from the Yungan Bar country uh, in Queensland. Thank you for joining me, a hearty welcome if this is your first time, and welcome back to all our regular listeners. Thank you all. Yes, this is Supply Circles, the podcast that asks the question, how can we in Australia create supply chains that are resilient and sustainable? at a time when we are implementing the challenges of the three Ds. Digitalisation, to keep up with your peers and your industries. Decarbonisation, to meet your legal requirements and targets by 2050, and in some states 2045. And ongoing disruptions, which come in many shapes, not only pandemics, but also industry disruptions, product disruptions, logistical interruptions and challenges, technology changes, global inflation, generational change, Oh, and many more. Each fortnight, I delve into different sections of the end-to-end supply chain. I chat with fascinating and interesting people, and we try to have some fun along the way. For this last episode of the year, I thought it would be a good idea to talk about the year that's been, have a look at the year ahead, and to think about the leadership issues of both. What have we learned? What has changed? What do we need to do to prepare for what will no doubt be a busy 2024? And I thought it would be a good idea to learn how to holiday, how to rest, how to recover and how to rebuild. So let's talk leadership and rest. Last episode, I asked Michael for to return to the show to talk about supply chains and infrastructure. And this episode, we've got another returning guest. I'm pleased to say Karen Fuster is with us again to discuss leadership and ongoing change and especially how to manage in ambiguity, how to manage ambiguous situations. This is Karen's specialty. For those who don't know, uh, Karen is the founder and CEO of Change 2020, and a veritable fount font of knowledge in this subject. So hello, Karen. Welcome back. How are you? Merry Christmas.
0: Merry Christmas to you as well. I am fabulous, thank you. It's my favorite time of year, so always in a good mood around Christmas time. I love
1: it. I think that's a song, isn't it? Um, favorite time of the year or something, Christmas? <laughs> probably <Yeah>. so, <laughs> I saw a meme of the, I saw a meme <laughs> like that that said um, it's not particularly flattering when the song says all I want for Christmas is you <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah you could look at it that way There's, it's all about I guess,
1: uh, Hey, let's remind everyone who you are uh, why don't you tell us the, the Karen Fuster story, you know it better than anyone
0: yeah, I guess I should, shouldn't I? So firstly, I'm a mum and uh, one of my uh, children is actually over in the UK. So um, Christmas this year for us is a white Christmas and um Hoping that the snow actually does tumble oh, down so yeah, right there mm. in Austria, yeah. So that's great. And, I, uh, and my daughter's just finishing her nursing degree, which is also wonderful. Um, I am, uh, as you mentioned, I'm the founder of Change 2020, and I also have a second company called Adaptive Minds, and both of them um, uh, they're complementary. So Change 2020 very much around leadership culture. Understanding change and the opportunity within change. An adaptive mind looks very much around the brain and how we respond to ambiguity, which is quite different from change. And understanding what triggers us and how we can better understand our tolerance level of ambiguity and therefore how we can respond to it. So, between both of those companies, it keeps me pretty busy. I, uh, other than that, I guess, um, I, I love to be. Uh, with my family friends socializing and um, I'm pretty keen on being on a flight to uh, to anywhere actually I enjoy travel a lot
1: so um, it sounds like a, it sounds like a full life uh, and it's good to get that balance between um, uh, you know work-life balance being able to do both. Let's talk about that a bit a bit a bit later um, Ambiguity and change we talked about it last time we were on the show but it's a, it's a fascinating. A uh, fascinating question. I, I think everyone's used to the idea of managing change, of leading change. Uh, and I, I, since our, our last conversation, I've sort of had in my mind the idea of the difference between ambiguity and change is that change is when there's a defined endpoint. Uh, as I said, you know, when I was a change manager, you would say, here's where we need to get to. We don't have any choice. We have to get to a new spot. But here's the spot. Here's how we'll get there. Let's do it step by step, and you'd manage the change. Not always easy to do, but it's very defined as to how to do it. Whereas ambiguity is when you don't know what the hell is going on. It's just all very clear. Uh, and one way I described it recently, I'll tell you my analogy and I'd be interested in yours, is that you may need to move from New York to Oregon. Uh, and so you pack up all your belongings in a U-Haul or a uh, you know, moving truck. And you drive across the country and you get the flat tires and you do all sorts of stuff, stay in weird motels. But you get there and you know it's going to happen and you just manage your way. <laughs> Whereas ambiguity is more like the early pioneers with their wagon trains and the TV show 1883 where you know that you're going into the unknown. You don't know exactly what's going on. You've got some skills and you, you're prepared as best you can. Uh, but you have to lead and you don't know exactly how it's going to pan out. It's not it's much more... Foggy. Is that, is that a good way to describe the difference between ambiguity and change?
0: I thought it was a splendid analogy. Having not been to Oregon, I was quite interested in the story. <laughs> I Haven't been there either, by the way. That's absolutely the case. Is <laughs> the thing about change is we have been doing it all of our lives. We have evolved. We adapt. You know, we move schools as kids. We move states. We we move countries. We uh, you know if we look at it from a pure workplace perspective. We implement new systems, we change office locations, have restructures, etc. its I'm not suggesting it's easy because we're not built to embrace change, but largely we know how to do it and we endure it or we ideally manage it quite well and we move through it. Ambiguity, to your point, too, you so at the end, it's like the fogginess, and that's exactly what it is. It is incredibly unfamiliar. It feels well and truly outside of our control. It, has uncertainty sorry through the roof, and it, it's confusing. Um, you know, it often means that we haven't had preconceived ideas of how to get to the end result. And the challenge is, is we try to apply our same ways of dealing with change to ambiguity, whilst it can be a precursor to getting an outcome. It does require a different skill set, a different mindset, and different behaviours, different tolerance levels to actually manage it effectively and find a way to move through it or sit with it. More to the point, sit with it and say, I don't know the answer. I do know, though, that sitting still is not the answer. So we're going to have to take a bet. We have to go left or right. We have to do something. And speed is really important sitting around waiting for all the right information to come through, that all the data points that you really would love to have to make this decision, that's a luxury that you don't have in a state of high ambiguity because there's either too many data points, confusing data points, not enough data points, yet needing to move forward is still critical. And so that is one of the real challenges of ambiguity. I I don't know if this is the right step forward, whereas largely in change, we do know, as you said, once you pack the pack the U-Haul, then you've got to make sure you got the fuel. You know where you're staying for the first night. You know what you're doing. Whereas that's very different in ambiguity. Yeah,
1: it's yes. this um, uh, bias to action. I think uh, is is probably the the good way of sort of capturing that. But back to those wagon trains in, in that uh, TV show, 1883. At one stage, there's a whole bunch of wagon trains trying to. They have to cross a river. Uh, they can't stay where they are because winter's coming and they're going to, to die or something. Uh, if, they go up, if they go up river three weeks and they're going to lose you know, the rest of summer, if they go down river, they don't know what's down river or we cross here but here is dangerous, which way to go? And sooner or later, someone has to make a decision. You know, someone has not say, no, we're, we're doing this. And there's plenty of objections, plenty of reasons why it's not right. But someone says, no, we're, we're, we're going to do this. This is our bias to action. Do you see that in, in people trying to manage ambiguity?
0: Oh, most certainly. A degree of assertion is critical. The alternative is that we don't move anywhere. And in your scenario... We either get washed away or, you know, freeze to death over over the winter. So that's that's not an option. So being understanding, what is the one step I can take forward? How do I get really focused on what I largely feel confident about, or know to be true? Or I have a sense that, you know, the risk profile is lesser if we go this way. Standing still is, is I think, one of the biggest problems uh, in, associated with that because it frustrates people and that sense of we're not going anywhere, we are just stuck is really uh, problematic. Ideally, we want to find a way how we can move forward. We love to be able to predict where we're going and how we're doing. Ambiguity doesn't allow that. But if you also choose to just sit still waiting for something to happen to you, your ability to predict anything is only dire because you're not going to to be able to progress in any way, shape, or form. So that assertion and getting the really focus takes courage as well. You have to be prepared to, to use courage to get to that next step.
1: Yeah, it really does test your value, your corporate value of you know, prepared to fail or fail fast or acceptance of failure because there's going to be mistakes there's going, going to be the wrong decisions occasionally. Yeah.
0: Yes, yeah, and they're okay. That's, uh, that's the way we can continue to progress and learn.
1: The greatest ambiguous situation that we will face in our lifetime, I hope, <laughs> was COVID. I hope it doesn't get as ambiguous as that, where we had no idea what was going on. No one did. We're making it up as we go. What have we learned? What have your clients learned? What have you learned since COVID settled down? And we're in um, perhaps, perhaps we're more able to handle ambigu- ambiguity now, um, but we don't know. I don't know. Tell me what you think has been the lessons for you.
0: Yeah, I, look, I do think it's been it's been a couple of years really since it's been COVID has been at, mm. at its height and really been impactful in the workplace. And there's significant flow on about what does that mean for us in the workplace today? How are we working hybrid, face to face, remote, work from home, whatever it might be? And that that's a quandary I think ongoing for many organisations. A few things which I think we've retained, and and I really hope we continue to retain, is focus on wellbeing not just am I working reasonable hours but the well-being of the whole person, understanding that we need to pay attention to giving people the best opportunity to be themselves uh, at work. And I don't mean a free-for-all. I mean that they can actually bring all themselves and that their well-being is going to be looked after. So I think that that's been a significant takeaway. I think elements around trust have also been really quite interesting. When we were forced to work remotely, the trust factor was a significant uh, contributor to whether people were able to really jump in and work remotely and continue to be productive and move forward and stay connected. You had to just assume that that's what was happening, and, and the assumption was much easier if you were trusted people. Those who decided to implement keystroke counts and, you know, have to check in every ten or fifteen minutes or something like that—that that was really problematic and definitely not not of use. So the, the trust factor has been a really significant contributor as well. I think the other thing is the knowledge that we are better when we connect and whatever connection might look like. So whether it is this face-to-face way of working or over Zoom or Teams or whatever that might be, that connection where we can still see each other as a human, look into each other's eyes, have a look at the body language, be a bit more relaxed to understand what's going on in that person's environment, be it if they're working from a home office or in a building. So knowing that... However I'm working, i am still got a sense of connection and belonging. And I think that really became apparent, the need for that during the pandemic, and I see that that is staying in place. Obviously the last one, well, not the last one, but another very obvious one is around flexibility, that leaders had to be very, very prepared to flex. What did that look like for the individual? Initially, again, what was safe for them? What was their work environment um, going to look like at home? Were they going to be physically safe? Were they environmentally safe? Was it even going to make sense from a perspective of being productive? If you had a whole lot of children at home, homeschooling, all of the complexities with that, that took an enormous reach for people to be that flexible. And whilst it certainly is curtailing and coming back in, that that sense of if you trust if you know I'm going to connect, if you're looking after my well-being and we can be flexible together, maybe that's quite okay as a rhythm of our workplace and that was really triggered I believe, and largely is still in place in organizations that we get to work with.
1: you have some fascinating points there. When it comes to flexibility and connection um, <laughs> Speaking in uh, in metaphors or analogies again. If you walk along the Brisbane River, you'll see some wonderful old warehouses that have now been uh, turned into to apartment blocks and whatever you see in most um, uh, cities. But if you look at them, they've got big windows. They've got these tall windows, and the reason they've got tall windows is because our working life was based around it was designed the Industrial Revolution-type working was designed before we had electric light. So we built big windows and we went to work during the day because we didn't have electric light. So we basically worked during daylight hours. Um, even when we moved off the country into factories, we worked daylight hours. And a recent guest on the show, when we were talking about artificial... Uh, intelligence was saying that we designed our factories around the where the electricity source was or where the power source, where the coal source was because that's the way that we had to do it. And it took a long time to redesign. My point is, is that now we don't need to work uh, based on daylight. We don't need to work on close proximity. We don't need to do a whole lot of things. We need to redesign the way we see work, not just do work. Um, and mm-hmm. you're describing that by talking about flexibility and, uh, and connection. Are we learning fast enough?
0: I love that question. I believe, and also I love the learning I've just had about why the windows are so high in the wall store um, here in Brisbane, <laughs> is my takeaway from that. Are we learning fast enough? I, I believe some organisations are. I, and I believe the momentum is strong enough that those that are not learning at pace or a bit reluctant for the learning. That they'll be dragged along with the momentum. What we're definitely seeing is, I think, the I guess the bargaining power that the employee had around remote working or hybrid working it seems to be dissipating. There is a general trend towards increased back to the office, but what we're not necessarily seeing is that trend where it is a five day week, you know, nine to five, or whatever that sort of traditional way of working there is still that degree of flexibility because of the understanding of well-being and connection. So knowing that maybe it's a nine-day fortnight where, you know, the one day they're remote, or it's still that hybrid model. So I think that the, the idea of the employee being able to say, I choose to be fully remote and if that's not what you provide for me, then I will go elsewhere that is slowing, and that's being driven by our economic environment, inflation, cost of living, you know, energy costs soaring. All of the factors that we're all grappling with, the the quiet quitting and the great resignation is really slowing it. You know, I don't know. There's a debate as to whether that was ever a thing. I think it was a thing. But regardless, the, the the other external factors are really also driving our way of work and, and our design around work. There's no doubt that the ability to reach globally to get the talent that you need for your uh, organisation is a, is a brilliant asset that we can all have access to. But what comes with that is a need to work out how are you going to connect how are you going to ensure that they are included that they feel part of the culture that they are being productive and delivering value for the organization and that means that leaders are continually having to learn try different approaches because if you you can't have it both ways you can't be for example you know based in brisbane and decide that the you know the best person for the role is either in hobart perth or auckland or Oregon and then not try harder to make sure they stay with you from an inclusiveness perspective. And so that, that relationship I think is where we're still really working out how how do we connect as well as we possibly can because there's no doubt we know as humans we like to be with a tribe and we like to be together. But What does that look like in the modern world as that continues to evolve?
1: What does that mean for leadership? That's a very sort of rhetorical question. Let me just sort of, sort of lead on a bit, a bit further. As we head into a new year, um, and uh, and <laughs> happy new year, as we a new one around <laughs> already, it's a bit scary. But as we uh, head into a new year, we are seeing, are we starting to see uh, millennials moving into senior management? We're seeing um, the the Gen Zs coming in as uh, you know pouring out of university, and they've got a different approach to it. And, an earlier episode you know, this year, I spoke to some academics who were saying that the, the kids coming out of university who have you know got degrees and they dislike intensely the idea of saying we always do it that way or we've always done it that way because they say it doesn't work. That's just ridiculous. There's a rapidly changing world. So you're dealing with people who are quite uh, entrepreneurial or entrepreneurial uh, who are mm-hmm. very much aware of the fact that their new thinking is needed uh, and they're being managed by people uh, who... Uh, I have got their own unique way of seeing the world. What's the workplace like in terms of leadership? How do we put this amalgam together now? That's and it's totally different from when you first entered the workforce. Although I, you know, I don't want to hate you, Karen.
0: Thank you, thank you, James. Very kind. you know it's. Generational leadership has always had to evolve. So when the boomers were leading the Gen Xs, the Gen Xs, there was a clash there, sort of everyone has an office, everyone, you know, works in a certain, certain way. This is how we do things around here.
1: Now the kids today have got no idea how hard that was. <laughs> <laughs> Having to call the boss Mister Gun and go into his office and stand straight whilst he told his stuff. And
0: it, it, see, just a, a crazy concept <laughs> that that could have been happening. And then you know the Gen has had to deal with the Millennials, and there was like a clash of cultures there. And so we go on. And that's the way of the world, you know, the alternative is that we don't evolve and grow. So I'm pretty happy for that to continue to be coming on. And I like the fact that there's a test and challenge and we have to find a new way of doing things. The leaders have to be so incredibly open-minded. Beyond that, that whole growth mindset, what else is possible? What else can I learn? How else can I that? The idea that you're in a position of authority because of the hierarchy of the organisational structure or tenure, that's gone by the wayside and has for some time. Leaders are those who are inspiring others, who are creating an environment where great questions are the way we go about doing things, and anyone can be involved in that. They're the people who are guiding and they're taking care of the environment. They don't need to be the subject matter expert. They don't need to be all roads lead to them for decisions. They, they generally speaking, have got great uh, factors around or, you know, behaviours around, you know, courage and decisiveness and presence and ideally they're great at communicating. All of those, are, you could have grown up as a lawyer, as an accountant, as an HR person, whatever you want to be as a tradie, all of those factors. Once you get to a position of leadership, it evolves into that generalist behaviours that people are looking for. And that's the stickiness. I choose to stay in an organisation where the leader does inspire me, where it's okay for me to challenge ideas and be heard, where we have some robust conversations, where it's okay, as you said before, to, to try and fail. They're the things that we look for in leadership. So, how will leadership deal with the next generation coming through? The same as probably the baby boomers did, and it wasn't won't be easy. It's not like you know, welcome. There's judgment. We judge the next generation. We're appalled like about that. But it's because it feels different. It doesn't. It, it's unfamiliar to us. And so, trying to understand that, ideally without judgment, is is pretty important because it's not going to stop. As you say, that's the way the world goes. The next generation now going to the more senior roles. And the other factor that leaders really need to be aware of, you mentioned before, the way they're going to lead, it won't even just be a bunch of humans. It's going to be how humans are interacting with technology and who don't have a growth mindset around that. You are really going to find yourself
1: struggling, I not risk you? Yeah, I, mean, I was. I was going to lead on to uh, AI. Our minds went to the same the, the same spot, and uh, particularly generative um, AI. Um, when we were talking about it in the previous episode, I so was sort of saying. Uh, it's going to be quite possible that you have meetings, you record the meetings, and then you say to uh, AI, develop a list of to-dos, develop a strategy plan for us, just punch it out. doesn't mean it's right. It's just going to do the work for you, and then it needs the humans to figure out what's right. Um, how is the workplace going to uh, had, you know, let's stick on leadership. How is leadership going to to work? This so I gathered from what you were saying. What I heard from what you were saying before is basically leaders need to you know deep delve in delve deeply into their humanity to be humans. You know you're not as a leader you're not uh, the person at the front saying charge. That's that's just silliness. You know, you, what you're doing is you, you, all those traits that you have said the empathy and inspire and, and and create the the environment. That's leadership. And you factor that into AI. Is that, am I putting words into your mouth or is that exactly where, you're, where you've been thinking?
0: No, that, that is right. That's the, and, and the challenge with that space is if we come back to inclusiveness, what does it mean for me to be included and have a sense of belonging? When I used to take the minutes in the meeting, when I used to issue the you know the action points, or when we would go off site for two days to think about the strategy and get all the inputs and the ideas of the humans, and the energy of the humans. Now, are we going to be reviewing something that AI has um, developed for us, and then we look at that and go, "Will that work, or will that not? Does that take away our role?" In some traditional ways, yes, it does, but it also adds an opportunity for creativity. It adds that opportunity for us to be really, really curious and delve into that next level, well, how would that work? That that looks great on paper, that plan. Where's the how? What do we know about our stakeholder groups, our environment, our customers, our members, our students, whatever industry you're in? How do we overlay that very uniquely human trait that we have, which is around connection, empathy, being able to understand um, the position of others and ourselves and having that care and that kindness, but also the cleverness. We've seen things in the past and said, yes, we tried that. doesn't mean we can't try it again, but let's also add this factor in or take this one out because that's where we blew up. So that aspect of being a human isn't going away. That is our point of differentiation. And leaders, the skill there is how do they keep them motivated and inspired when the machine does it in, you know, a nanosecond in comparison to how we do it. How do we overlay that creativity and the the human traits we spoke of before to add value? That's, that's the critical opportunity. And I see some fantastic leaders who are doing that and they're often brilliant listeners. They'll sit back and they'll really deeply listen. To what's happening for people, whether it is around change or ambiguity or um, you know new opportunities, listening to the way people are trying to solve the problem, the increasingly complex problems, and they're also providing they've got very good questions that trigger a deeper level of thinking. They also are the people that are when it does get all too hard and the uncertainties. You know, really starting to take hold of people, they provide some guidance. AI could say to you, here's your 10 steps to move through this uncertainty, and I can promise you it does that really rapidly. And they're, they're not wrong, but it's the how. Will that make sense for me today, for that person today, for this team today, for our organisation? That's what I think leaders have the opportunity to do, to humanise the cleverness of AI, to make it, work for
1: that organization. Yeah, just to put AI into contact. my favorite story is that as it's still being developed, you know, it's still a new technology, you can ask, uh, you can get a, a, a pretty accurate answer as to how long will it take me to walk across the English Channel. Now, it's the wrong answer, but it will give you the – Correct answer, if that makes sense, but it's wrong. Uh, humans, humans know it's wrong. Um, yes. So AI has its limitations. It's like a, it's like a, a young intern who knows everything can uh, is, is, got lots of answers, <laughs> but they're not always right when you put the humanity around it. It sounds to me we've got about this part up, but it sounds to me that you're saying that the the trait that's going to come through more than anything as we head into this new generational change, new technology, new in work environment. Uh, This first work, we're going to need the leadership trait of bravery. You're going to have to be brave.
0: Yes, absolutely, because it puts us well outside of our comfort zone. It feels uncomfortable to take that step towards uncertainty or reinvent the way you thought leadership was going to work for you. It means you've got to go deep within yourself and work out what can I do what do I think I need to learn to do? What am I prepared to do to make a difference? And ultimately, we know the job of the leader is to create more leaders. It is for them to be the ones that show show the way in a very human way, which is I think this might be something that we should go with and if it's not right, then we can turn it around. I'm not suggesting we can do that all the time. I'm not, you know, I understand the... Um, you know, obviously, the economic impacts of making a series of incorrect decisions. But at the same time, you do want someone to be courageous enough to say, "This is what we're going to do, and here's the things we're going to put in place." So the moment we can see this decision is not going to work for us, how do we course correct as rapidly as we possibly can? So it's not blindly going forward and saying, "I have a gut feeling, and let's off we go." But it certainly, is the courage, as you say, or bravery to say that this is
1: what we're going to do as a first step. It's a fascinating conversation. I've I've got lots more questions to ask you, but we should take a break. Before we get to the break, um, a question I do like to ask, uh, if I may, is tell me about your name. I I think it's a a beautiful name, like Karen Fuster. It's not harsh enough to be German, I wouldn't think. It's not soft enough (laughs) to be, it sounds like uh, Anglo-Saxon somewhere, but tell me about it. Do you know anything about it?
0: I do know a little bit about it. Um it's actually French and it means it's from the fourteenth century. Uh, the term means to be a saddle tree maker.
1: Be a and one. it is
0: very a saddle tree <laughs> maker. So you're making <laughs> the saddles over there. So I uh, not what I expected. It's not very not very common at all. And I and people notoriously spell it wrong. Um which is perfectly fine because it is a bit tricky, and an additional R gets put in the front, or you know, there's different ways. But uh, yeah, so it's fuster and it uh, that's yeah, that's where it comes from. And it's interesting. There's probably in Australia, I don't know, there might be a dozen fusters on LinkedIn, and it's all I always feel like I must know them somehow because it's so you know uncommon, and I'm connected to some of them, um, but maybe through. Um, Ancestry.com,
1: I'll find a few more. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure if this is a rude question. I don't mean it to be. Is it your name or uh, is it your family name uh, or, or your married name? Yes, your it is. Name. Yeah.
0: No, it is my yeah, family name. It sounds yes. like it,
1: yeah. Great name. All right. Well, uh, Karen Fusden, let's you. take a break
0: and we'll be back in a minute. <laughs> if you have supply chain or business improvement challenges, contact AI Group's Business Improvement and Growth Hub. The Big Hub is a library of practical and relevant resources designed to assist member businesses to grow and improve. The Big Hub also includes an extensive network of experienced pre-qualified business improvement consultants. For more details, contact big at AIgroup.com.au. That's B-I-G at AIgroup.com.au.
1: Karen, before the break, we are talking about the uh, the. the, the ambiguity the last few years and then the changes that are happening in the workplace. Uh, work from home is, is, uh, is now a big thing and uh, we've got AI coming in. We've got different generations moving into different parts of the organization, so there's uh, generational change happening. We need to be flexible and we need to be connected and we need to be brave and we need to reinvent which is a good thing to talk about when we're heading into the Christmas break. It gives us a chance to stop and reflect and to refresh. Before we get to that question, the first, before we get there, we have to have the Christmas parties. One of the one of the uh, <laughs> the great traps of uh, of management and and organisations. I read a while ago uh, an opinion piece. Uh, where the the writer said that uh, team-building activities, such as Christmas parties, were contrived and manufactured jollity that seldom work in enhancing social cohesion, mental well-being and productivity. The author said that there was a difference between prescribing and fostering culture uh, and the strict instructions that sometimes do more harm than good. He said those that are responsible for creating these sort of things should make it easier on themselves by considering such basic principles. Not everyone has fun in the same way. Not everyone likes to go dancing or <laughs> likes party cakes or table tennis or all this other stuff that you might want to do and they might not even like parties. What's the best way to get the what's the best way to get the best out of these moments when we bring everyone together and say, okay, let's be one big happy jolly organization. How do we lead that?
0: That's interesting. Uh, Look, there's obviously there's some truth to uh, to that author and that article. Of course, we're different. Thankfully, we're all different. So, I, for one, am a supporter of definitely getting people together if we can, and where people are having the opportunity to to connect face to face. You know, break bread together, laugh together, etc. But I think let's give people choice if they don't want to do that. If it's uncomfortable that they find themselves standing on a karaoke stage, which apparently for some people that is quite uncomfortable, then don't make them do it. There can be expectations in a workplace about you must come into work two or three days a week, for example. But I don't think we can have those expectations in terms of. And now we're having fun. Now we're going rock climbing, or you know, now we're going to do something quite extraordinary in terms of you know doing a big painting event. If somebody doesn't want to do it, it doesn't mean that they're not not a part of the team. So I don't think forcing fun on anyone has ever worked. Yeah. Ever since we were kids, oh, that, that just doesn't work. Being inclusive, but not—I don't think it's possible, in all fairness, to put out what would you all like to do. You'll get if you put that question out to twenty people, you might get fifteen no, no, responses, yeah. Yeah. which are different. And the thing is, we're not not everyone gets a prize. We can't please every single person. What we can do, though, is treat them as adults and say, "You have a choice. You can't. You are fully invited. We would love you to be with us. If that's not your choice, we fully respect it. We'll see you after Christmas. Be safe." Something like that.
1: Yeah, people are interesting out there. I, I, you know, I'm a great people watcher, as I know that you are. And, and if you've got a, if you've got a group of people together, there are those that are very. Boisterous and 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 bringing everyone together, and then you say, "Well, get on stage and uh, and you know present an award." And they go, "Oh God, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that." Whereas other people who are quite,
0: yeah.
1: quite quiet, uh, are more than happy to get up there and and say something. Um, it's just the fact that everyone's different, isn't it? It's back to this humanity thing. <clears throat>
0: Absolutely, and respecting that is critical. We do a lot of work using either the Myers Briggs or um, HBDI. Well, this, this is Myers DISC Briggs, isn't it? This idea of, of
1: everyone has got different personality yeah. traits. You know, it's different from behaviour.
0: Absolutely, it's that's right. Different uh, yeah. from That's right, and and we we can adapt and we can change. But saying to somebody, "This is going to be fun," by putting them so far out of their comfort zone for a six-hour period. It, that's not fun for them. Just because you think it is, it's not. So respect the differences, invite, include, and give people choice.
1: And then we get past the Christmas party and we have a chance to um, step away from work, and uh, be with family and friends, which can be equally fraught with uh, angst. <laughs> uh, uh, and then uh, we have a, a time to rebuild and refresh and think about the year ahead maybe or don't think about anything. Tell me your... Wise words on, on, on uh, Catch me, uh, Karen. Help me um, come back to work refreshed. How do I do that as a leader that's, that's got to be brave and human and open? And how, how do I go away and 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 get my my, my 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 mojo back?
0: Do you know? I think it when we're being fully true to ourselves, it's much easier to bring your mojo to be energetic energetic in, in how you need to be. So I don't mean, you know, the loudest person in the room, but bringing your energy, your presence back into the workplace. So for me, I know it's absolutely connecting with my friends and family, uh, finding a place where I feel I'm away from the noise. And and also on my own enemy, you know, as many people are, to say to her, put you out of office on, I will not be responding to emails for this 10 day period or whatever it might be. Put in some blockers there or someone alternative who can respond for you. But you know, ultimately, it is what grounds you. You know, is it is it your feet on the sand? Is it, you know, being on top of a mountain? Is it just being in your favorite corner in your house, reading a book when the sun comes in, having a cup of tea with those you love? Whatever that is that helps you come back to. This is the real reason I'm on this planet. Work is a part of what we do. It's a significant part. So ideally we want it to be a contributor to our well-being and, and that we really enjoy it. But to be our best, we need we need to be rested. We do need to reconnect and then go, okay, I'm coming back in. I've got some new ideas I had some space to think. I feel like I've learned from the year that was I think that's interesting to reflect and say, if I was to, you know, map the rhythm of the last 12 months, how often am I above the line versus below the line? Are decisions I made. Did I take opportunities or was I overly cautious? Doing a reflection like that, and some people will journal, some people will talk about it, some people just think of it. I think that helps to be aware of, and what might I want to do more of in the coming year? Or, or what, what do I want to leave behind? But just finding some space in our heads away from, you know, the craziness of the presents and which might do are fun. Christmas, as I said earlier, is my favourite time of the year. So all of that energy, I love being around it. But you also need some quiet for your own benefit to be able to think and reflect and then go, okay. This is what my next year, I hope for it to look like. And to do that, there's one or two things I'm going to start to think about a little more clearly or we'll bring it to the surface a bit more frequently so I don't get myself caught in either a rut or see myself below the line more often than what is desirable.
1: It's um, they're great words. It's very wise. It's the idea about getting back to what, what's what's me, you know. Because we get so wrapped up in in work, me, I forget about me sometimes. Yeah, good good, good words. What drives us on? What is it that makes us makes it happen? So you're the Christmas fairy. Eh? You're the you're, 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 <laughs> you're Christmas Carol.
0: Actually, if my, younger, if my younger sister listens to this, she, she is the Christmas fairy for sure. So, um, she uh, The the puddings are hanging and uh, we uh, certainly, she, she looks after the Christmas list, who's going for who and where we're going to be. So all of that, there's always been a, a um, for us, it's it's family and so we come together and I feel very blessed for that, That it's not Yes, of course, it's stressful over some areas, but they're so minute in comparison to the benefit of connecting and being close to those who I love the most. So it's yeah, easy I to love me.
1: this because it's this combination of uh, of, of, of uh, Karen, who runs two very very busy successful businesses, and yet is still very much you know uh, her own person and has her, her full life. This balance that we all we all search for. And I'm, not, I'm sure the balance is not always exactly right. Uh, but it sounds,
0: of course, okay. it's not. But but it's it's built on. I I don't believe I could do any of the. I mean, my work is such a privilege. I get to work with people and have conversations with people about who they are, who they want to be, how they're going, uh, how they connect, what's important to them. And so I, that's you know, there's a bit more to it. But that's essentially areas that I get to be around all the time, and it's a privilege. And I feel quite sure that I wouldn't be able to be authentic and um, and be myself in that space if I didn't have the real, the, the, not the real me, the bigger me, which is the reason that I get I up like that, The bigger me. Let's let, let's talk. <laughs> <Literally, exactly. laughs>
1: let's talk about. Uh, we need to finish, but you mentioned before this idea about um, renew, not just refresh, but renew. Uh, the, the, the lessons that we're learning from this conversation and we've been hearing all year is it's going to be different. It's going to, be, it's going to keep changing all the time. And so we're going to have to, as leaders, leave things behind. We're going to have to say what made me successful in the past needs to be left behind because it won't keep me successful in the future. Um how do we do that? How do we approach that in, in this period? Do we, do we think about it? Do we not think about it? Do we, you know, use this period, do we studying hard? I don't know, what, What's just reflect, go, on, go and sit on a beach and stare at our navel if you can see it.
0: <laughs> Look, all of those options are good for people if that's what they would like to do. I, I would caution that what got me here won't get me further in totality. So I definitely agree. With factors of that, however, there's also many things that did get you to where you are today, and will serve you well for the rest of your life. And generally speaking, that's being you know a good, open, honest, trusting human. That's how you become a leader. You you don't become someone who's a manipulator or you know uh, autocratic and and dictatorial. We don't get there uh, generally speaking, and hopefully not. So take forward what serves you well, and then do that reflection as you say. Um, on the beach, wherever you might be, about the world is going to be different. And it's going to be, and I, and I guess a lot of it is going to be driven by you know, the instability in our world. I think you would have to have your head in the sand to not have a huge amount of, you know, sadness and worry about that. That's going to continue to play out some way in our lives, either indirectly or directly, and we get to see it on our screens closer to home, you know, the cost of living, the challenges of homelessness, homelessness, things like that that are happening right now in, in our world. Those type of things need to, and they'll play out in our workplaces increasingly. And then from an easier perspective, perhaps, you know, we look at AI that we we're talking about. How is that going to impact the workforce? What does that mean for my team, for the people that I've built and the people who I've seen develop and grow? Will that really curtail their career. Looking at mergers, how do we bring two organisations together, which means some people who helped get us to a position of merging may not be the go-forward team. That That takes some strength, takes some courage because it's also, it's difficult and it can be sad. So what we need to be able to do is think about how do I stay across, you know, the sense and the pulse and the rhythm of the organisation and my team and my people. And ultimately that is by that deep listening, truly being present, asking amazing questions to learn, not to answer, maybe answer later, but to listen first and really understand so that when the next wave of ambiguity comes, which is absolutely inevitable, you're a bit more equipped to take that deep breath, what is it that I know to be true? What's the one thing I need to do to take that step forward? How do I think flexibly about this? How do I bring different ideas in to help solve this problem? And know that you may not get it right, but standing still is definitely going to be wrong.
1: A bias for action, courage, uh, and humanity. How will you refresh this year, this Christmas break? Do you get some time away? Uh, what's what's going to be happening?
0: absolutely this is my uh, the, the white christmas and um oh, yeah, so the, that, yeah. uh, visiting some amazing parts of our world catching up with family and friends as well and, yeah, exp- experiencing new things, I'm really, really looking forward. to going to, uh, you know, parts of the world I've not been to before, so immersing myself in that. And, you know, you mentioned earlier about people watching. It's possibly one of my favourite things to do in another part of the world, just find a little bar, have a glass of wine and watch the world go by and just see how does the world work in Budapest versus Vienna versus London versus Brisbane. Um, and maybe, and I think a lot of it is the same, which is the Beautiful thing about when you travel, when you see that we are the same the world over, we just might do it a little bit differently, and that's a good thing. So that will be what will definitely really oh, yeah, inspiring
1: then. a few years ago uh, on Christmas Eve I was in Ottawa in uh, Ontario Canada which is uh, which is white uh, and uh, I was walking through the uh, the snow streets the frozen lake uh, and I thought you know what well, I need a bar to go and sit into so uh, James Scotland uh, found a Scottish bar where there was many kids <laughs> serving um, beer and uh, food in Canada, it just seemed obscure to me, so it was great. It was, a, it was a wonderful thing to happen, a great memory. And of course, you know, Christmas carols playing uh, in the Scottish bar in mm. Canada, whatever. The, the other great that thing is, is that uh, Christmas Eve is the big deal. It's, um, and and yes. have a good look at what Christmas Day is like in Europe, because it's different from us. For us, Christmas Day is the day, but um, it's the day after Christmas in in uh, in Europe. So yeah, well, the best There's a big. Yeah, the Christmas Eve is beautiful. Looking forward to it. Christmas Eve, yeah. yeah. We have a good one. And what's ahead for uh, you in 2024? In any, any more of the same?
0: Yes, more of the same. Uh, you know, it, we're really focusing on continuing our, our work and our support with, uh, with organisations who are grappling with the ongoing pace and complexity of change and the ambiguity, helping people understand what their tolerance levels are and by some of our work we do in Adaptive Minds, where you can complete an assessment to understand your tolerance levels starting point. So, now what? So, a lot of that type of work, we're also looking at some partnering um, arrangements in Canada, actually, you should mention that, um, which might therefore mean I need to. Come over there <laughs> I would and, recommend that. Yeah. So, that would be wonderful as well. Yeah has got to find a reason. Absolutely.
1: So, well, yes. thank you for joining us. All the best for Christmas and for your trip and for uh, uh, the year ahead. Maybe we'll catch up again another year and find out how things have changed. It's been wonderful chatting to you. Thank you.
0: You too. Thank you so much for the opportunity and you too have a wonderful Christmas. Uh, stay safe. Swim between flags, put on that sunscreen. <laughs> totally different messages to what I'll have to take with me, but that applies to you. Thank you very
1: much. Uh, I'm going to – I live on the beach in Service sort of, Paradise and so for something completely different this year. I'm going to Terrigal to sit on the beach in gold with some friends of
0: mine. Oh, <laughs> wildly different. <laughs>
1: Uh, well, that's it for another uh, episode of uh, Supply Circles and that's it for this year. We're going to take a break and come back in in, in mid-January. Um, thank you again for listening and for all your feedback and for creating a wonderful year for me and for the program. If you have any feedback on today's interview with the delightfully named Karen Fuster uh, or ideas to share or if you just want to give me some feedback, hit me up at james.scotland at head over to my LinkedIn page. I'd love to hear from you. And we'll be back in 2024 with more insights into the building of sustainable supply chains. Thank you for joining me. This is Supply Circles. I'm James Scotland. Merry Christmas and have a prosperous new year. Bye for now.